In a game of inches over the weekend, the Hawthorne Hawks, after an incredibly spirited performance, came up short against GWS in the gather round game over in Norwood. Tonight, you are joined by Tim, and we have Liam, who is making his Talking Hawks podcast debut, and you are here for the six points. So that's where we go through the six main takeaways from Hawthorne's game on the weekend. Now, if you are listening to this podcast, that means that we would love to have you following, liking, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast provider, whether that's Apple Podcasts, whether it's Google Podcasts, Spotify, The Works. Please make sure to give us a five-star review and to give us a rating. If you do give us a rating, we will make sure to read it out in full so that you get the credit that you deserve for helping other Hawthorne fans to become engaged with the Talking Hawks product. Also, while you're at it, make sure to like and subscribe to us on YouTube where we are chasing 1,250 supporters close to Anzac Day. So please make sure if you haven't already liked Talking Hawks on YouTube, please jump on and give us a like and a subscribe on that particular social media network. And then also when it comes to social media, you can jump onto Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and follow us at Talking Hawks to get lots of original and unique Talking Hawks content. So Liam, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Not the first time we podcast together, but the first time on this platform. That is correct. So we are going to be talking tonight, Liam, about Hawthorne's game over the weekend against GWS. So to give a bit of a quick rundown of the game, it was GWS 10 goals, 17-77, beating Hawthorne 11 goals, 9-75. And as we said, Liam, it was a game of inches. Jarman Ippy had a shot with about a minute left to go. Uh, which was agonizingly short, unfortunately, which meant Hawthorne were not able to come away with the chocolates in the game. The main disposal winners for Hawthorne, we had Warper with 35. We had John Newcomb, 31. He received the best on ground award from the Hawthorne fans, which broke a streak of three uh, that went to Will Day. And then we had Connor Nash, the big Irishman, who had a personal best with 31 touches on the weekend. So as we said, you are here for the six points. So that means that we are going to go through three points individually that we thought stood out from the game. So Liam, we'll let you start off. So point number one, please. I'm going to shock no one. I'm going to talk about a ruck and I specifically want to talk about Ned Reeves. Uh, in the first four weeks of the season, we can't be, we can't kid ourselves. He struggled. He was averaging about one mark per game, wasn't taking contested marks, wasn't really having a presence beyond his hitouts. But this week, 10 disposals, seven kicks, three handballs, four marks, four tackles, had a real impact, not just at the stoppage. He attended a lot of centre bounce as well, even at a higher rate than usual, which I found interesting. And I liked seeing it, but he had a, he had a presence for the first time around the ground. And it even showed in later quarters when he wasn't taking as many marks but he was getting to the front of contest and he was actually drawing free kicks as well. So he was able to have an influence even when he wasn't marking it. And Ned Reeves for the first time really this season had an impact around the ground. So that was, that was my first big takeaway was the impact of Ned Reeves as a matchup problem, not just as a hit out machine. And Matt Flynn from GWS had been performing incredibly well uh, in the first few rounds. So Obviously, to have Ned Reeves hit a bit of form on the weekend was fantastic. He took the four marks, as you said, and that actually totaled uh, what he had for the first few games. So in terms of that, 
one game he's been able to match uh, his output for what he's had so far this season, which was wonderful. He was able to use his height fantastically well, which is one of those assets. I mean, when you're 211 centimetres tall, it's always nice to be able to use that to your advantage. And something that stood out to me here, Liam, is he had the seven uh, seven kicks. He had the three handballs. 207 metres gained. Yeah. Um, I, I said this this performance, frankly, was better than all his other four combined. And the man who even makes me look short um, really showed that he can use it. So that's a very good first point there to start us off with. So point number two, my first point, I'm going to talk about our big Irishman, Connor Nash. So in terms of Nashy, Nashy is one of the whipping boys of the Hawthorne team. Whenever Hawthorne loses, if you jump onto any social media platform, you'll see his name being uh, put through the mud, put through the ringer there. After the Geelong game, people were a bit concerned about how Nash kept getting picked in the side because... Against Geelong, he only had the 11 touches. Mind you, he did have a massive head clash just before the end of the second quarter that uh, split him open and left him with 12 stitches. So on the weekend, Nashi came out and he had 31 disposals, which was a personal best, 18 contested possessions, six intercept possessions, six score involvements, 23 pressure acts, seven clearances, nine tackles. And this was the part that I absolutely loved. In the second half, Sam Mitchell took our big Irishman and sent him on to Tom Green. At that stage, Tom Green was on fire. Everything that GWS was doing right was going through Tom Green. He was the avenue for them going towards goal. Sam said to Connor, I need you to do the role. I need you to go and clamp down on him, go head-to-head, similar to what you did against Ben Cunnington. And after halftime, Tom Green had 12 touches. Connor Nash, after halftime, had 17. So I think Nash's role was incredibly important on the day, especially when we consider that the human padlock, Finn McGuinness, wasn't playing. So Sam needed to have someone who was able to control the opposition, uh, the opposition's best midfielder or opposition's most damaging player at the time. And he went to Nashy, and Nashy went and did an incredible job. And the one thing I forgot to mention as well, 71% disposal efficiency, which when you think about it, That'd be uh, over the AFL average. Yeah. Um, I believe Daz on the preview podcast talked about the quote, big potato eating Irishman going to Tom Green. And he got it right. And not just Ben Cunnington, let's actually think back to last year as well against the D's where until I think Nash went off injured late in that game, but he sat on Christian Petrarca for a quarter and Christian Petrarca had three disposals that quarter. He sat on Clayton Oliver for half a quarter. Clayton Oliver did not touch the football until Connor Nash went off injured. So I actually think we as supporters have a tendency to underrate what Connor Nash can do as a shutdown player. And there's a reason he wasn't working as a forward until he had to think too much. So I actually think the fact that he's able to follow someone around, let an opponent do the thinking for him, and then use his size and athleticism around the ball is actually making him into a really valuable asset for us. And I actually... I wrote a name down when I was watching Connor Nash. I watched the game on about an hour and a half, two hours delay because of a VFLW game I was watching for the other project you and I work on. And he reminded me of Liam Shields. That fourth midfielder, that first midfielder in off the bench, have a physical impact, just hunt the football, always play for the team first. Um, yeah, that's a. I think that point's really strong. And again, nine tackles all in the second half. I, I think most of them on Tom Green. Having chatted to a couple of players in different forums as well about Connor Nash and tackling even at training, 
Uh, I've been told it's as unpleasant as it looks. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think one of the, the keys to Connor Nash is being able to be in those tight, congested spaces because it's similar to his rugby background. And he's able to obviously go in there, see ball, get ball. And if an opposition player has a ball, hit the player as hard as he can legally. Uh, and we know that Nashi is one of those tackling machines that we have. So that's our point number two. We'll now go over to you, Liam, for point three. Uh, yeah, and this one's about the back line. And, I mean, Jesse Hogan took six marks inside forward 50. Our back line was undersized, just just plain and simple. Denver Granger Brass, I think, is 196 centimetres, so he has the height, doesn't have the build yet, still a young player. But other than that, our back line is really undersized. Jack Scrimshaw, who's 193, was out. He's not really a key position defender anyway. James Sisley is only 186. 187 is a lot shorter than people think he is. And we just lacked that size against what the the Giants, who had a pretty tall forward line. And I, I just think it's something we need to be looking at either next few weeks or in the offseason. How do we get some more size in the back line? Is it a matter of James Blank has to be backed in? Is it a matter of you know Sam Frost has to play above his height even more than he does? He's not the sh- he's not a short bloke by any means, but he often still has to play above his height against modern key forwards. James Blank's a bit taller. You know, so how do we manage? a back line which is frankly undersized against forward lines like the Giants, which are a bit taller, which offer a lot going forward. And that that's something I'll be curious to see. You know, Blake Hardwick should not be going up against Aaron Cadman or Jesse Hogan. He's, he's not that tall. He, he sim- simply can't do it. No matter how good Blake Hardwick is defensively, he can't go up against someone who's that much bigger than him. Yeah, absolutely right there in terms of uh, Dimmer Hardwick on the weekend having to play up against uh, some of those taller opposition players and obviously the GWS lineup where they went in. Cadman debuted, but he's quite a tall player. You had Hogan, you had Himmelberg, who could have been the swingman. Uh, and in terms of height, you know, Frosty, 194. Denver, as you said, 196. Uh, James Blank, who played really well at Box Hill, uh, really great defensively-minded key position back. Uh, he is 196 centimetres as well, so he's the same height. Uh, as Denver, and you think if you're coming he's up, he's a bit against, more built than Denver. He is, yeah. So I think uh, I think Blank's about 98, uh, 90, yeah, about 98 kilos. I think it is. So he's quite solidly built uh, compared to DJB. So be really interesting to see what happens when we come up against teams who have uh, those taller forward lines. Because while Sicily is able to play above his height, and while Frost obviously plays uh, taller than the 194 centimeters that he stands. When you do come up against some of those big boppers in the forward line, you can definitely see that height uh, mismatch that they have, and it makes it really, really tricky for our defense to be able to compete all day. Yeah, if they if you can reach over the top of someone, it doesn't matter how much better and more skillful than they are, you're going to get first crack of the football. It's the only asset I had on the football field for 10 years. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, we now move to point number four. Now, Liam, if I read these names out to you. I want you to tell me what you think they have in common. Connor McDonald, Josh Ward, we've got Cam McKenzie, Tyler Brockman, Ned Long, Seamus Mitchell, Denver Granger Barras. Uh, as of the date of recording, they're yet to attain the age of 21 years. That's correct. Well, as we speak today, it is DJB's 21st birthday. So happy birthday, DJB. 21 and under. So yesterday, in terms of our side, seven of the 23 were under 21. Now, for those of you who are sitting there going, what does that have anything to do with it? 
those close games for those young players are going to be absolutely invaluable as they continue to grow as AFL footballers. We had the pleasure yesterday. There was myself, there was Matt, there was Brad, and also Chris. We had the uh, the honour of being at Box Hill and being able to to spend a bit of time with Zane Littlejohn, who is the Hawthorne development coach and also the Box Hill coach, uh, as well as getting a bit of an audience with the head of development in terms of Andy Collins. And Andy was talking about yesterday's side, seven of the 23 playing in Norwood, being under 21. And when we think about the development of these kids, he was saying that none of these players have gone backwards. They're all developing. They're all continuing to, to develop along their journey as AFL footballers and that the club has the utmost faith in them. Now, if it's good enough for Sam Mitchell, Andy Collins and the coaching crew at Hawthorne to have faith in these young kids, then I think it's absolutely crucial that us as supporters have the same faith in them. We saw Seamus Mitchell come in yesterday, his first game of AFL football. In that last quarter, there were some kicks that he took coming out of the defensive 50 that you sat there and thought, wow, how risky is this? But he hit him. He backed himself in and you think, that's the type of talent that we have at the moment. And then you think about the players that we had playing at Box Hill yesterday who are 21 and under. You've got Butler who played. You've got Jack O'Sullivan, who just came into the club this year as a draftee. You've got Josh Weddle, who's going to be an absolutely incredible athlete and an incredible player at the same time. We have a plethora of talent at Box Hill under the age of 21. And while there are some hiccups along the way, and we'll have games like yesterday where we can't quite get the four points, I think this season is one where we can sit back, watch with a lot of positivity and seeing the growth of these players 21 and under. Yeah, you forgot perhaps the young gun who impressed the most at Box Hill. You know I have a fondness for young athletic rucks, and you need to mention another one. Well, Maxi Ramson, he absolutely uh, lit it up yesterday. Four goals, one in the wet. Uh, one of the things that really stood out, and it was something that if you keep an eye on Talking Hawks, you'll uh, you'll see it come out hopefully uh, tomorrow night, if not early Wednesday morning. And it's it's part of our interview with Andy Collins where Andy talks about the shooting star that is Max Ramson that is coming very, very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think when I wrote a track watch article in January, I think he looked bigger and he moves really well at his height as well. So I think he's... Um... I think that despite being a mid-season pickup, which is kind of, you know, they're a free swing, I think he might actually be really, really good value out of that mid-season draft as probably someone who's going to be primarily a key forward who then drops into the ruck 20% of the time with the likes of Reeves and Meek or one of them or whoever may pick up down the line to kind of do the lion's share of the ruck work. The David Hale rollers, as it be. Uh, it's very interesting you talk about that mid-season draft. We seem to do quite well in terms of that, Liam. Not only did we pick up Maxi Ramson, but uh, the best on ground yesterday for Hawthorne in John Newcomb. Yeah, Newcomb, uh, James Blank as well from the mid-season draft. So we, and I think us and Collingwood, as does like to say, the two clubs who have done the best out of that mid-season draft. But this is not talking pies, this is talking hawks. So That's correct. All right, we'll move on to point five. So this is your last key takeaway from the game yesterday, Liam. It's a takeaway and also something I want to watch this week again because Will Day is not playing again. And it was how the midfield functioned without Will Day. And I was actually surprisingly happy with it. So including round five for the season, the midfield without Will Day has gone 
25 lost, 25 wins, eight draws, 37 losses. Whereas with Will Day, it's gone 36 wins, seven draws, 18 losses. Uh, yes, I track these stats meticulously every week, as Tim will know. But so what we but on the weekend it was 10 wins, five draws, five losses. So it was actually an improvement on the with on the without day rate of success. So I think that was for, from being able to train without him in there more regularly, maybe coming up against a weaker Giants midfield and the improved ruck work as well. So th that's what stood out to me is how does the midfield function without day? Obviously, that class on the outside combined with really good size wasn't there. Connor Nash stepped into a higher proportion of centre bounces, offering the size. Uh, I do think we were missing a bit of class out of the midfield. I don't think the, the quality coming out of the middle was as good as it has been at times. But I, I was liking what I was seeing. So Newcomb, the Newcomb-Warple pairing specifically functioned at about the rate it has. Six wins, one draw, seven losses from 14 times that they attended as a pair. And with Connor Nash, it was an even 50-50. With Cam McKenzie, they had a draw and a loss. And with Josh Ward, they had two wins, two losses. So... Yeah, there was quite quite an even mix, regardless of who the third was. That that pair with Will Day are actually really effective. So it showed me one how important Will Day is to our midfield functionally and structurally, but also that when he's not in the side at all, he may be a bit easier to cover than when he's out rotated. There's some really good points that you've made there, Liam. And it was really lovely to see Duke obviously back in that midfield yesterday. So we know that while Day has had his opportunities in that midfield, it's meant that both Jai Newcomb and also Warps have had to play more of that half forward role uh, in terms of making sure that we've got enough space to be able to get the rotations going through that midfield. So I think obviously while Day didn't play yesterday and it was a big loss for the team, it did allow Warple and Newcomb to be able to do what they do best which is to get the ball uh, and obviously to be able to get it going forward. Yeah. And one, one thing, and this is something that, that's whole of season trend, both of their numbers are better without the other than with them. So perhaps there's still a bit of jostling for who's playing which role between that pair. So if I look at Warple, for example, for the season, 20 wins, 11 losses without Newcomb, 21 wins, 26 losses with him. So... Yeah, perhaps the absence of Will Day was felt in having to put those two in there together more, and it kind of left us a bit short at that, sec at that second ring of the stoppage. But I, I did, I did like that we were trying different combinations with with Day out of the side, including seeing Ned Long going into three centre bounces. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fantastic that Ned was able to go into those three centre bounces. Obviously, playing his second game. It shows that the club has a lot of faith in him going forward, which is a wonderful thing. As we know, he was one of those ones that I mentioned that yesterday was under 21 who was playing. He hasn't even turned 20 yet, and he is an absolute beast of a human being. We now move on to the last point, and this is my last point. And lo and behold, surprise, surprise, it's another positive, Liam, and it was all about effort, effort, effort yesterday. So... If you go back to Easter Monday, we saw a huge amount of effort in that first half against the Cats. When Hawthorne came off up by nine points at halftime, Hawthorne supporters, we were all just incredibly enthused by the effort that we saw that players putting their body on the line, as we saw with Connor Nash, who got the 12 stitches in his, uh, in his scone. And then in that second half, the effort really 
dropped away. It fell away. It was almost like we fell off a cliff in terms of effort. Now, on the weekend, there was three stats that really stood out to me. Contested possession, 153 for Hawthorne. Our average had been 131 up until that stage. So in terms of that, it was a huge turnaround. So we're talking plus 22 for contested possession based on our average. In terms of one percenters, 45 yesterday, 45 one percenters. Our average for the season is 40. So once again, above that, which is fantastic. And then tackles, 64 yesterday, and the average for our season is 55.8. So you can see the effort that the players were putting in there. And one of the things I absolutely love now, while we didn't come away with the four points, it was actually in the post-match press conference or one of the post-match interviews that was done, and it was with Connor Nash. And he said, if you look around five seconds after that final siren goes, you can't tell me any of these players who pulled on the brown and gold jumper yesterday were not hurting, that we didn't come away with the four points. And it just shows that the effort that these guys are going through week in and week out. And while it's easy for us to sit back and to go, I don't think they put in as much effort as they could, or maybe they weren't uh, displaying what we really, really wanted them to, you can see that they're going out there week in, week, in, week out wanting uh, to be able to do their best. And I think yesterday they came out and they really wanted to set a, a really high standard and to atone for that second half against Geelong on Easter Monday. Yeah, I've, I've long said I have no problem if you're beaten by superior skill. I have a problem if you're beaten by superior will. And I don't think you could say that. I think both teams just did, gave everything they could. And in the end, the Giants just had a little bit more skill when they needed to. So I, I actually want to build on your, your stat there, specifically about tackling. So for the season, including again, including round five, Hawthorne averaged 1.56 tackles per minute of opposition possession, which ranks 16th in the competition. This week, we averaged 1.9 tackles per minute of opposition possession, which ranks seventh for the week in the AFL men's. So big improvement in that. Almost, almost 30% improvement in terms of our tackles per minute of opposition possession, which is a stat I track again this year because I think it's quite an important one to measure in terms of how much a team is putting in how a game and how a game is being played. So I, I can't disagree with anything you've said on the effort there. And at the end of the day, from a young side, that's all you can ask. If, another t- if the other team are simply better on the day and execute better, you hold your hands up and say, okay, we need to develop skill. We, m- we need to get some more kids in. Cool. We know that. I, again, no problem beaten by superior skill, problem being beaten by superior will. And cannot say we were beaten by superior will. We were just beaten by some better execution in clutch moments. Yeah, definitely. And I think the Norwood ground really didn't suit the way that we wanted to play. And you could see, especially in that last quarter, uh, not having that space to be able to want to break lines or to be able to, to do the things that we really wanted to. Uh, and it came back to, to bite us. So, the effort was definitely there, and that's something that we can certainly look forward to seeing this Sunday when Hawthorne takes on Adelaide in our Anzac Day Clash or Anzac Round Clash uh, being played in Launceston. So that will be our second home game in Launceston. And the last time we played there, Liam, we came away with the four points. So fingers crossed we can do it again. Let's hope so. Should be a good game. So that now brings us to the end of our Six Points podcast where we are reviewing the GWS game for the Hawthorne Hawks. Thank you very much for listening. If you haven't already liked, followed and subscribed to us on YouTube at Talking Hawks, please make sure you do. If you haven't 
liked and followed us on social media in terms of Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, please make sure to jump on and to do so. And if you haven't given us a five-star rating or a review on your favorite podcast provider, please make sure you do so that you can help Hawthorne fans from around the world to be able to engage with the Talking Hawks content. This has been the Talking Hawks six points from the GWS Giants game. And until next time, go the Hawks.